But what about for a small business Mm. who really needs to look at the impact on their bottom line, who really needs to look at profitability? Sure. Um, And my response to that is you're not going to have success with that mindset. (laughs) If you're really focused on a pure black and white exchange for return on investment, it doesn't work that way. Social's a long-term play. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. Unique perspectives, practical insights, and unexpected discoveries directly focused on giving you the unfair advantage. Introducing your hosts, Nadia Hughes and Terence Toe. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. I'm Terence Toe. I'm the founder and managing director of Strategic Corporation and uh, one of your hosts today and introducing Nadia. Hi, I'm Nadia Hughes. I'm from Smart Business Solutions and I'm very happy to be here. And today we have, well, really a regular guest back, Kate Fennessy from Paperboat Digital. Thanks for coming back today, Kate. No worries. And we're going to continue our social check-in series and we're going to have a bit of a chat about influencer marketing on social media. And the reason why she's regular, because she keeps bringing value and we can't stop taking it. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, influencer marketing. So I think this is a topic I know from my clients, for example, influencer marketing is one of the hot topics. It's what a lot of clients are saying. What are we doing in this space? I want to be active in this space. People know about it, but a lot of people don't really know what it is and haven't maybe tried it or just, yeah, have a huge question mark over the whole concept of it. So I thought it was a a good topic to unpack and discuss because there's lots of elements to it and there's ways that you can do influencer marketing. But I think it's good to just stop and pause on that topic because it is a pretty big one in the last couple of years in particular. So an influencer, I had a look at a few definitions last night, is obviously someone who has the power to influence. In a marketing sense, they have the power to affect change, which might be behavioral change, which might be purchasing a product, for example, or or looking differently at a brand. So an influencer, you know, we all know what influence means, but in the sense of branding, I think there's a, a few factors to think about, which is that influencers have an engaged audience usually, they have reach, and they have influence over that audience. So it's that sort of trifecta that makes them almost like a property. Back in traditional marketing, you talked about a TV program or a radio program, that's like a property. And it might have a defined audience. You might have 100,000 people listening to the AM breakfast radio show every morning. Or you might have 600,000 people watching the latest renovation show on Channel 7. (laughs) Seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Sounds so archaic. Just like the good old days. Those people back in the days where traditional marketing was pretty much it, they knew the value of that audience and you paid through the nose for access to that audience. You paid tens of thousands of dollars for advertising on platforms like TV and radio. Whereas if you think of the new world we're in, individuals now have their own properties. Mm -hmm. They have their own audience. Mm -hmm. And often they're actually a much more captive and engaged audience than a traditional audience, if that makes sense. So I'll just keep going. You guys yell out if you've got a question. Yeah, I've got one quick question, right? So I've got kind of the definition of influencers, you know, people who have an influence, people who have an engaged audience. Mm -hmm. Is there a, you know, a social media definition which says to be an influencer, you've generally got, you know, a certain number of followers or a certain amount of engagement? And, you know, I've heard the term influencer, but also, you know, micro-influencers as well. 
So I guess to me that means there's probably different levels Definitely. of influencer. So can you maybe give us a bit more mm-hmm. information on that? Sure, absolutely. You're exactly right. One of the most sort of agreed upon definitions is about 3,000 followers on, it's usually Instagram, but it's not necessarily that that's the only platform people will be looking at. The reason that definition is quite accepted, certainly in my world now, is that Tribe, which is the Jules Lund company that's in that space, influencer marketing, they're an Australian initiative. Tribe define an influencer as 3,000 plus followers on any platform, likely to be Instagram. So when I look at an influencer sort of campaign for a client, I tend to rank them in sort of, depending on the client, I might look at influencers under 10,000. Maybe I'll look at influencers sort of up to 50 and then influencers over 50,000 because obviously the cost associated with working with those people is going to change depending on where you are up the scale. And in fact, Tribe, which is again, just Google, I think they've called it something else. Like you have to Google Tribe Jules Lund or Google Tribe Influencer. They actually have a formula, like a table that actually lists number of followers and what you could potentially pay per post. So that can be quite handy if you're a brand thinking about moving into this space. But I want to unpack because that's only one way to do influencer marketing, Mm -hmm. paying per post. But yeah, so I guess if you want to think about it broadly, it's 3,000 plus. However, the thing to keep in mind, like with all things digital, there's no hard and fast rules really. And there's nothing sort of black and white and set in stone about how to know who's a good influencer because you might find someone with 20,000 followers who's actually got a whole lot of low quality followers who are not engaged at all. So you might find better success with someone with 4,000 followers who really genuinely follow this person. So you do need to put a filter of engagement over the top of numbers. Numbers alone can be misleading. A lot of people, particularly on Instagram, have bought followers with automated bots who like and follow. It's pretty common. And what it can end up meaning is you might be wanting to talk to a a local Frankston mum who's got your target audience covered with 5,000 followers. But what if you dig a bit deeper and realise half her followers are overseas? It is important that we look at engagement and, of course, content as well, quality of content. Yeah, okay. So the first question that that comes to mind there is is then how do you measure? And, in fact, I remember having a quick conversation with, who was it, Josh? Mm -hmm. Josh Uh, Brinjax? And he's got 31,000 Instagram followers. And we were talking about, you know, how to actually identify who's a legitimate influencer and who's just gone and got a lot of followers. Yeah. He was talking about some metrics around that. Yes. So are there some metrics that we can look for yep. to actually identify, you know, who's a legitimate influencer yep. and who's just playing the game, so to speak? Absolutely. I think the best thing you can do is just literally have a bit of a snoop around. It doesn't take long to identify a genuine influencer just by looking at the last few posts. Look at the number of followers versus the number of likes. Although these days you don't get as many likes anymore per post. Mm -hmm. Instagram's getting more crowded. But have a look. You will soon see, if you look at the last five posts of anyone, you will soon see if there's, you know, a genuine engagement or not. What you're looking for is good comments. You're not just looking for comments. You're looking for responding to those comments from the person. You're looking for conversation. So you're actually looking for, you know, what you don't want to see is... 100,000 followers but 100 likes only and some random comments that say, hey, great post, thumbs up, that's automated. That's what I have seen and I have seen, like, have they been copy-paste, all of them? It's automated. People are paying a program to do that on their behalf. 
that's to me it's the chaff it's separating the chaff from the wheat you know so yeah. you can see that very quickly you don't need there are programs you can punch in someone's account and, and it'll spit out an engagement ranking there are plenty of those kind of apps around okay. but for me use your human you know brain eyeballs intuition intuition yes, yes. all the things there you can't go. automate you will soon see very quickly and it, i'm not saying automation's totally wrong automation can help in some people like it but what I'm looking for is conversation. In a really good engaged influencer ecosystem, you will see them engaging with their followers. You will see conversation. Yep. That's the difference. What do you think about slightly provocative um, questions when the in- influencer posts something? Because this is more genuine than having a great job or anything. This is what you consider quality because sometimes I see them having a go with each other, but in a sort of friendly engagement. Mm. I think when we talk about quality, and you'll hear this a lot and read this a lot, it's about providing value. It's about thinking about audience. So quality content is usually giving value to the audience, whether that value is entertainment, whether that value is information, whether that value is insight, whether that value is honesty, authenticity, making people think. Yeah. So it usually comes down to good content is often where the person or brand knows its audience and knows where its audience is at and gives its audience things that the audience wants. It's audience-led thinking, putting the you in it all the time you know, understanding who they're talking to, which is sort of the basic principle of writing, you know, know who your audience is and start talking to them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, audience-led thinking. Well, absolutely. So I'm going to go down this list of definitions as well. So I've sort of, we've defined what an influencer is, but I want to define some start, some types, I guess, of influencer marketing because it's really not just one thing. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, if we think about it, back to the good old days again, Influencer marketing is not new at all. We've had celebrity endorsement for years. And I picked an example when I was thinking about it last night, Mark Taylor for Fujitsu. You know, you still see the ads. I don't know if you even you guys even watch TV anymore. but I, I do remember those ads for Well, he's reason, doing them. Now that you've said it. He's been doing them for years. And, you know, Swiss, of course, who I used to work with four years ago, yeah. were very famous for having a suite of ambassadors, a stable of ambassadors. And I think what people get tired of back in the days is they know that, you know, Mark Taylor doesn't necessarily love Fujitsu. It's just that he's being paid to say he does. We all know that. So that kind of older style of influencer marketing is changing because audiences are getting more savvy and we expect more. But essentially that the principle is you pay someone with, with influence, with a profile to endorse a product, right? That's mm-hmm. sort of level one older style of influencer marketing. Just quickly on sure. that, I think I know why it's changing, but can we expand on why that's changing? What you know? What's the difference now? I mean, uh, well, to me, actually, yes, I think it's trust factor. It's like, okay, well, if you know that somebody's simply getting paid to say something, right, then there's less trust there. Mm. But and and also, you probably, unless you follow, for instance, Mark Taylor. We're picking on him now. <laughs> well, but <laughs> we, love we don't we don't mean to cricket. pick on him. I'm sure Mark. there'd be a lot of fans who love him. <laughs> but you know, unless you know him quite well. You may not resonate with the fact that he's, well, you know, he's backing up this product and, mm. you know, so that probably to me there seems to be a lack of trust there with that style of marketing. I also really like the the fact that you just said audience become very savvy. Uh, mm. How many people uh, tug, got sick and tired of being held like idiots and being force-fed this uh, mm-hmm. advertisement? Mm-hmm. Now they have a choice of it. 
They have a choice what to watch, what not watch. They Correct. can. They basically everybody now at Mercy. We change the table tune. Mm-hmm. That's what I. I agree think. totally. I think the the current the modern day consumer has so much choice. Doesn't have to watch your ad anymore. They can switch off. They can mute it. They might have pre-recorded and be fast forwarding anyway. So the whole environment has changed, even from ten years ago, where advertising was passive you know your audience was passively receiving your message end of story now advertising is two-way your audience can get online and go ha what a joke or I don't like that or I don't agree or this is ridiculous it's two-way the audience is much more empowered we've seen examples of everyday consumers influencing massive corporations like Target a few years ago a mum got online did a big rant and said I'm so sick of there being crappy options for clothing for girls once they hit age sort of 10 whatever it was tweens she did a big old rant you know a few months later target changed their whole offering in that area so the consumer is now very powerful and in a sense has a silent seat at the boardroom i believe Mm. it can't be ignored anymore Mm. it's not the old way so yeah the modern consumer has exactly what you said lots of choice we're flooded with content options they can certainly switch off so brands have to work harder and in working harder brands have to be more authentic people especially young people coming through now they switch off at old traditional marketing. They know they have a, a high, if I can say, BS radar, you know. I don't know. Yes, it's a good radar. It's true. Have, they, yes. have, they have a filter. They, yeah. They're not interested. They, they can sense inauthenticity. It lacks credibility. They switch off. So good luck if you're thinking of millennials in the future because they don't buy traditional marketing at all. They don't watch normal TV. So they're choosing their content already. You know, my daughter pretty much exclusively watches content she chooses on YouTube. She listens to people who are creating their own content and she probably will listen to them if they recommend something because she respects them and their content. So it's a totally different ball game. I think credibility is an important part of that conversation. And you'll still see brand ambassadorships and they can work. I think that if the celebrity or the influencer genuinely, if you can sense passion or interest, mm. it'll work better. Mm. But if it's a flat out hi, I'm a celebrity and I think this is fabulous. I mean, that just doesn't wash anymore, really. But it still happens. You still definitely see it. I think the most empowering things happening with the consumers is that everybody now in power of designing their own circles, they have choice Mm. on what to be educated. They have choice on what to to be associated with. Mm -hmm. And if they don't feel warm and fuzzy about something, they don't have to be part of it. Correct. This is where I think ability to design your own circle is very empowering. Yeah, and that's the nature, that's the essence behind the algorithms that these social media platforms create is exactly what you're saying because Facebook wants your world to be curated. It wants you to choose what you like. It wants you to mute what you don't like. Instagram's headed that way. A lot of platforms now, they want your world to be tailored to content that you enjoy which is the basis of why the algorithm works. The more you like things, the more you'll get served it. I'm actually scared of this one because it, I don't want to be defined by what I have seen yesterday. I want to be defined what mm. I'm potentially. So it sort of takes away maybe my fears, unfounded, but it takes away my notion of development. Mm. No, it's a good point. And some people do talk about that in America. They've talked about, I think Brene Brown has touched on that topic She's a woman who's spoken about topics like shame and other things, but she also talks about this danger of only being surrounded by your own opinion. 
So are they doing something about it or they just, I don't want to be constrained by my tax uh, latest legislation because that's what my first thing I will be looking for. Look, I guess my answer to that, I believe in the personal agency of, of each individual still. You, there's all the content. You can do what you want to go and yeah. find it. So yeah. find good content. Make that your responsibility. That's my <laughs> Okay, that. so I can't passively expect Facebook <laughs> prepare no. for me my future education. Don't, don't rely on automation, people. <laughs> but just bring it <laughs> back up. to the empowerment side of things. Sure. So you're talking about the consumer yes. is now empowered. Definitely. But doesn't that also mean that brands, authentic brands, are also empowered. Because Absolutely. if those brands then choose to really be authentic, to really be genuine, to mm-hmm. work with the right, you know, to create the right partnerships, to find the right audience and to work with the right, you know, clients or consumers mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. that really is empowering brands at the same time as it's empowering the consumer. Definitely. And I think that there's a real rise in companies, particularly by younger people, perhaps in their 20s and 30s, who are putting their values at the centre of their product. Mm. I saw an example. I read Collective Hub's second to final issue this morning and yesterday morning I was reading it. And there was a gorgeous young watch company where all proceeds, all profits went to charity. But beautiful watches and it was the meaning of this particular brand was mindfulness. They wanted to remind people to be in the moment and know that their watch had sort of supported something meaningful. Stuff like that, I immediately followed it on Instagram. That's a brand that I'm going to absolutely have at the top of my mind when I want to buy a watch one day because that me- that connects to me. So that's authentic. So if that brand attracted an influencer, which it probably would, they'll probably get celebrity endorsement for free because if all that has to happen is a celebrity has to like that product the same way I did, except I'm not an influencer, mm. I'll try and find it before I go if, if people want to know what it was. Well, yeah. we'll see if we can. If you find it, we'll put it in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, that would be good. Yeah, so definitely, I agree. I think it opens up a space for genuine brands to do cool things and they will naturally attract mm. influencer marketing in a sense. Yeah. I guess it's not one-sided. No, it's, that's it, true. It certainly works from both sides. But it just requires you as a brand yeah. to be more authentic. Dig, be dig more a bit deeper. Genuine. Yep. To really actually do something that is more focused on your audience or on the consumer. Uh, and what I did like from a prior podcast, we had Josh here, and it was quite interesting. You were talking about uh, young um, brands. Well, how younger you can get as an entrepreneur. Mm. He's 16, yes. and he was talking about this, his absolute. He couldn't find passion, but he did find what he hated. Yeah, I've seen that d- video. D- d- different mm. p- type of passion, but it's still a passion. And he just basically was helping particular uh, need of the market to yep. just overcome this problem. And this idea of mm. being yourself and yep. which is, or people always talk about, but I, I really couldn't understand because it's just overused and not really resonated with me. Be yourself, mm. be yourself. What does it mean? He didn't care about any of it. What he cared is his true how he felt about yeah. it. And it's value led. Yeah, and mm. he just basically spilled it into the idea and just it was empowered by this passion. Mm, absolutely. And I do think you're right. There are a lot of young businesses flourishing in this new environment. Mm. So I think that's definitely worth mentioning. I'll just finish the other two types. So we've sort of spoke about the more common type of influencer marketing, which you definitely still see, which is the sort of paid endorsement ambassadorship type thing. That now happens at a next level in the world of Instagram in particular, which is where you 
pay to access an influencer's audience, and it might be a one-off transaction. That's what Tribe has basically been set up to do. They use the example on their welcome video of Nutella in Australia, presumably, sort of paid a whole lot of influencers to create cool photos on Instagram of Nutella, you know, cool kind of flat lays and creative-looking breakfast scenes and moments. And they use that 30 posts they could use or more to sort of use the consumer to define what Nutella can look like, if that makes sense. And they would have paid for those posts, not a lot, maybe 50 bucks or 100 bucks each to get these lovely posts. So essentially this idea of sponsored posts has now become much more accessible. So instead of paying an ambassador, you know, $50,000, $100,000 like the traditional model, you might be paying now 20 people a couple of hundred bucks each to create some posts for you over the year. That's micro-influencing and that's influencer marketing. But it's still the latest thought is that that's still a bit, in a sense, not where the real benefits can happen. The real benefits can happen in more longer-term partnerships that are more genuine. So essentially, you know, in that Nutella example, Nutella's getting 30 people to create great content. That's great, but what perhaps is not happening is they're not diving into that world of each of those people and finding out some insights or maybe they didn't get the top fans in Australia. Maybe well, they Perhaps yeah. they should talk to George Clooney and get inside of nappies where he had a prank and put Nutella in the, his kid's nappy. Really? On his guests, yes. <laughs> That's a true insight of Nutella. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ability. So different take, but... Yeah, really yeah. practical. I've sure. heard of that one before. <laughs> Neither have I. No. Go and Google that. We'll put well, there that you go. We learned something well. for today. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that's becoming more common now is the idea of still an exchange but at a more accessible level. And then the, the sort of newer type again and a deeper level is where you're starting to see collaboration. You're starting to see the idea of a long-term partnership with an influencer who becomes a content creation partner. They might be actually really inputting into what you do together. It's not just a, oh, here's my brief, I want a photo like this, done, see ya. It's more sitting down, having a coffee and saying, here's my product or service and getting that influencer's perspective, getting their input and coming up with something entirely new maybe, maybe coming up with a new product or service together with their input, maybe working on content together, maybe collaborating on a giveaway with more than one influencer or collaborating on a giveaway with, multiple partners that are seeded out by multiple influencers. So there's so many ways to do it. An example I thought of, this is a few years old, Adairs is a, a you know Manchester bedding homewares type brand. For a while, in my personal opinion, it got pretty daggy, wasn't sort of kicking goals. Now they did a partnership with Rebecca Judd, wife of some footballer, I'm going to say, but she's an incredible businesswoman, an entrepreneur in her own right, has created an audience probably bigger than most Australian TV shows right now. Beck Judd didn't just sort of do the traditional celebrity endorsement. Adairs is wonderful. Shop at Adairs. She's created lines within Adairs with her style. Her followers know her style. They want her style. They're going to buy her style. I feel like she really rejuvenated that brand. I used to drive past the shop windows on that White Street when you come out into Nepean Highway there and I thought, God, she's done amazing things for that brand because whether or not she had, you know, 100% control over what she created – but they were very smart to give her some creative control. Is it when they are this type of people called ambassadors of the brand? Yeah, it's a mix, but it's more than an ambassador because, like I said, what she's really doing is is infusing her style into the well, products. She's, she's really created something. It's I more. mean, the, the audience that's following her, right, is, you know, obviously likes her style and she's Correct. created something mm. which specifically caters to that audience. Correct. And right? the colour palette seemed very her and suddenly this brand got lifted in my 
estimates and bought into the sort of current, you know, on-trend world of that particular audience. And I have no doubt that it's been a success. And and she's an example of a very big influencer in Australia who probably has worked with lots of brands and had the same effect because people love her taste. That's why they follow her. She's giving value because she has good taste. Mm. She can, de- you know, decorate a home in a beautiful way that people go, oh, my God, I want that. So, I mean, that's really clever. And what I'm sort of saying is there's the older type, there's the sort of transactional type, and then the newer type of influencer marketing is more long-term relationship-based where you hope the influencer actually cares about your product or service and actually is interested and audiences can pick that up. Yeah. Well, in this case, that example, Mm. I mean, that influence is actually helping to create the product. Not only that, she quite obviously would be happy to use the products, right? And I think that's part of the disconnect Mm. between like when when you see somebody endorsing a product, you look at it and think, well, would they actually ever use that product if they weren't that's being right. paid yes. to uh, endorse it? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's a lot of uh, diet meals. I always surprised. They're all endorsing a lot of celebrities. Yeah. But I wonder, would you really eat it? Yeah, exactly. And people <laughs> can smell sorry. that a mile off. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So I think that's really worth kind of thinking about is that it's happening all around us. You, once you sort of tune in, you'll see various forms of influencer marketing happening But as you say, when it's authentic, there's something about it rings true. And I think one other tip as well for businesses to think about is that often, if you're an established business or a new business really, you often have a current audience, but you may have a desired audience and they may be two different things. I've got a few clients who are in this position where their current audience, you know, no offence to older people, but their current audience might be older and not, not as... They want to be cooler and younger and hipper, for example. Take a brand who's in that situation. They've got a bit of an older brand vibe and they want to reposition to be younger and appeal to more. So that journey can often be very well helped by an influencer. So all you have to do is think about targeting an influencer who has your desired audience. So in the Adairs example, I bet you that's where they're at. Maybe their average customer was, you know, 45 years old shopping in store. They wanted more 30-year-olds buying online. So you go to Beck Jard, who's got lots of 30-year-olds buying online, and off you go. Mm. So that can be a really good strategy for when you want to talk to a different audience. And it comes back to that word again, audience, because these people know their audience. And people like Beck Jard, if they're any good at their job, which she certainly is, they know their audience not just well but fiercely. They are protective of their audience. So they will not just align with anyone. You will not see, in my opinion, a Beck Jard-type person just endorsing any old brand because she will lose her audience. They'll know their audience and they'll be fiercely protective of what resonates with their audience. And so a good influencer should be able to say, no, 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 that that doesn't work for me. Mm. That doesn't work for my audience. So it's a kind of like a matching. You've got to match properly for it to be effective. One other definition I just wanted to get out there is gifting. I think gifting is now another pretty common strategy. Now, this is, again, at the smaller transactional end of influencer marketing gifting can work really well if particularly a product could be service as well though where you essentially find a bunch of influencers or one influencer and say i'd like to gift you this and in response there's a sort of understood agreement or a you know a goodwill handshake if you like where you hope that that person will will positively review it and put content out there 
Well, it's also NLP endorsed, if I may to say. It's basically when you give somebody, the mm. people feel obliged. Of course. And this uh, creating this obligation in such a subtle way and uh, under really, really good um, pretense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What I think. And it, look, it won't always work. Sometimes gifting will go belly up, and you might give a gift and never get the credit for it. And but gifting alone can be one very good strategy that, particularly a brand in fashion or beauty or retail, might just employ that strategy year long. Mm. Gifting certain people and just hoping for some positive responses, and that gifting might even be a good step to creating a long term partnership. You might, through a gifting strategy, identify a really cool person you want to work long term with so they're sort of all the definitions really there is one other sort of thing as well my friend katie who's an influencer locally miss morny penny she talks about affiliate marketing as well and i think this is something very common in that world of micro influencing is where you give your influencer a discount code for example and again works well in the retail space you know miss morny penny might be promoting a certain product and if you go through her channels you can use her discount code and you might get 10% off there might be an arrangement in the back there where she's getting a little bit of return on that as well Mm -hmm. so it's affiliate marketing so that's another style of using influencers gifting sponsored posts affiliate marketing so they're all the sort of various ways that that things can happen And people also use cross promotion. I have seen um, instead of being competitive, they're cooperative. And um, I have absolutely um, collaboration is huge. Collaboration is now, which is really, really um, I like. And uh, again, it just comes back to my favorite John Nash's theory, uh, game theory. That's basically you do not have to compete. Yeah, I agree. And you can offer more value together. So potentially, if you pair up with a local business, you know, think of a basic example of a hamper. If you want to create a local hamper i mean what better way to promote a local area like mount eliza or mornington shops by putting a huge hamper together with things from local shops give it away you know like that's already providing much better value for the audience or the winner in that case so yeah all right so i guess the next question is Mm. the how yeah like if you're a brand yes okay how do you get started in influencer marketing or where do you actually Sure. Where do you actually start? So, you know, obviously it's not a, a one-size-fits-all. It's not no. a, you know, every brand go and approach a certain influencer. Yeah. It has to be very relevant. I think relevancy here is is high on the priority. Absolutely, right? absolutely. So, yeah, how do we get started? Sure. I think a good, and that's a great next step. Yeah, I think a good first step is, first of all, you've got to know who's out there. So hmm. if you're not already on Instagram, get on Instagram. Because and start finding locals in your area. You can use literally hashtags like if you're trying to find a foodie influencer in the food space, start following the hashtag, you know, Melbourne foodie blogger or Melbourne foodie and and hunt around, spend time. So first step, I guess, is identifying, finding out who's who. It could be through reading the local newspaper. They might do from time to time a little profile on an influencer. It could be looking at an influencer you already know, like a Josh, and look at who he follows. You know, look at who Miss Penny follows or there's Mama Loves to Share, another great couple of a duo, Helen and Lisa, who are local. Look at who they follow. Look at who they're talking to. Often these people will work, work in little circles. They're literally friends with each other. So it's sort of first step is identification, but you can't identify them if you're not on the platform, mm. you know. So first step, identify. 
The next step is like you're thinking about their audience. So think about their audience and whether their audience is your desired audience. So if that's the case and you've got a match, I would literally ask for a chat. I mean, whether they're living in your local area and it's a coffee or whether it's a phone call, have a talk. Like they're just people. Yes. Arrange a time to talk and say, hey, this is my brand. I was wondering if I could just have a chat to you. I'd like to learn more about your audience. Get to know them. Just say, hey, tell me, like, how often do you post or what do you find your audience loves? Ask them questions. Do you do endorsements? What sort of relationships do you have in the sponsorship space? Ask them. It's the best way to find out. And then if it's a good match, say, hey, look, I'm looking to do something. Can we come up with an idea together? What do you think would work well for your audience? Remembering that they're the expert on their audience. So in a sense, again, back to the old days, you couldn't have that conversation with a TV program. But you can have this conversation with a real human who can turn around and say, oh, my God, my audience loves giveaways like this. Let's do this. They might connect you up and say, how about we put your product with this service and create blah, giveaway, you you know, competition or this or that. So give them some creative license. That's where I think the, the sweet stuff happens. So be creative. Think about this as fun. My advice is to prepare for this to be a bit of a learning curve things won't necessarily work. It's going to be a bit of experimenting, testing and learning. But if you're open to it, if you say, well, I want to trial some influencer marketing strategies this year, if your mindset is long-term and test and learn, that's probably a good thing as well. But yeah, depending on what you're doing, if you've got an event, invite some influencers for free. Now, events, influencers go very well because you know why? They capture fantastic content. They tag, they hashtag, they know what they're doing. They might do more beautiful content than anyone you paid, uh, sorry, than anyone who attends or that, that what you'd think to do. So if you've got an event, invite influencers. Don't just invite them for free. Make them feel special. Give them a VIP pack. Thank them. Give them a lunch. I don't know. Give them extra because they have an audience that you want to engage with. And if you want to be really savvy, get you know have a proper conversation. Treat it like any campaign. Give them a brief. So I'd really love you to mention the following three points. They're really important. Pay them. You know, the higher up this influencer goes, the more value you'll get. So treat it seriously. Treat it like a a campaign, if that makes sense. Treat it like building a relationship. Yeah, treat it like any project. Yeah. Have outline your objectives. Be transparent in the conversation. Say, look, what I'm really hoping to do, Mr. Influencer, is I really want to reach the following people. Can you help me? Just be open and transparent with what you want. Mm -hmm. Ask them what would work for them. Say, look, I feel comfortable with this. How would you feel if I gave you the ticket plus you know, paid for your accommodation, great. We've got, you know, talk, get a good arrangement going. And to me, that's a human-to-human thing. Mm. But there are other things you could try. Guest blog posts, you know, try and get your voice on their platform. Say to them, hey, I'd love to do a guest post on your platform, which I understand gets viewed by the following audience. Talk to them. What could I write about? What do you think they'd like? Is that okay? Do you mind if I do that? And in exchange, you know, so start talking, start creating some sort of, agreements that are mutually beneficial to everyone, including the audiences. Hmm. You know what I mean? And that um, really, so it keeps coming back to that collaboration. Absolutely. That a collaboration yeah. is amazing because it releases, uh, first of all, your uh, creative mm. juices, as you yeah, know. Yeah, that's it. And another <clears throat> thing turns to your great belief of leveraging. It's mm. suddenly, that's what basically we are. We're hiring a huge mammoth of the rock to basically give us this leverage and mm. it's uh, suddenly over you can take off uh, like a rocket 
with this. That's what I'm saying. Image and seesaw and influence is very heavy rock at the end of this. So. Yeah. So and I think there is a give and take. I think, yeah, I think don't be afraid to think about what you can give too. How can you give value to this influencer? Maybe, you know, and that's just, again, these are all things that are not new in human interaction. Hmm. Give and take. Yeah. I'll scratch you back. Well, well scratch Terence, mine. let's not go too far. We have got podcast and we engage influencers in our podcast as speakers. <laughs> Um, how we give them value. What do they get out of it? Well, first of all, they get, they never been interviewed by Russians before. <laughs> a life experience. <laughs> it's a cultural experience. A, yeah. a shock, I may, may say sometimes. But another thing is we are spinning from different perspectives, the same person. But when we ask questions, we are asked completely from cultural point of view, from also business point of view. We if they were having the same conversation with another mm. person, they would completely be different facets of them being Absolutely. exposed. And, and it's a PR for them. So for your guests, they're getting the ability to add to their own portfolio of reputation as a brand. So I think you're giving them that. But the good thing about your podcast is that your the audience is not only central to your thinking, it's, it's part of the name. You've named your podcast about the value you want to give your audience. Mm. So that's a good reminder for you guys and your guests that the insights are meant to be, we're all trying to right now add value to our audience. Exactly. That's the entire notion there. That's that's awesome. So a couple more tips if you do want to go into that space. So, yeah, just to sum up, I think be honest and authentic and that is not just about the the content you want to create or the results you want to get. Be open and transparent in the whole journey with the conversation with an influencer. Then be open and transparent. Don't assume things because you might get disappointed. And, you know, expect things to not go perfectly to plan. That's what I would say. They're not going to go perfectly to plan. It's not a sort of formulate process. It's a more organic process. Treat it like life. Yeah. I've had some experiences back with influencers that went really poorly. And you go, all right, well, I won't work with that one again for my client. But you wouldn't know that until you tried. So Mm. you've got to kind of have a test and learn mindset with everything digital, I believe. Prepare for it to be a learning curve. Don't be nervous. Just remember these are people. If in doubt, pick up the phone, have a conversation. These are humans and they are the experts on their audience. And I actually was shocked when people I approach, they say yes. Yeah, and they just don't even ask me. <laughs> it was quite, it was very, very humbling experience inviting all our guests. Absolutely. But it shows they're just people and they probably want to share what they're excited about and, and passionate about with an audience. And then the last step I would definitely recommend is analyze your results. Don't just sort of Go, yay, I'm influencer marketing. Everything's awesome. If it's not working, don't keep doing it, (laughs) you know, or if it's not working, try a different way. It's got to work. It's got to show visibly value. And, you know, luckily, again, in the world of digital, we can see stats. Now, I don't want to talk about this client because I haven't had that discussion with them. So I won't mention the client, but this is one example. This is at the higher end. So we're talking a a very big influencer. Um, But one of my clients engaged an influencer and in the first week, our Instagram followers increased by 39% in a week. That's 2,486 followers in a week. That's a lot. But the stats for me that were more interesting, our engagements on Instagram in the period of since the ambassador came on, which is about eight weeks, I think, increased by 1,278% engagements. Wow. Actually, the engagement per media increased by 607%. So engagement per post. They're the stats, and I know, being the social media manager of this particular client, what increased and what excited me the most out of all of it was this, so many new questions about this product from new audience members, so many, in fact, that they had to update their FAQ page on their website 
with our commonly used questions. We were frantic in that first few weeks because this ambassador brought in a flood of new desired audience members. But I also want to warn our audience uh, as an accountant, be very careful about listening to increased statistics. This is clear, not Mm. the case, but look at the starting point because Mm. if I had one client and I the next year I had two, it's just increase of 100%. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's all contextual. But at the end of the day, you can see, I can visibly see and attest to the lift in, in conversations. And sometimes things are harder to measure. That's right. And and statistics can be easy to use in your favour. That's true. But at the end of the day, green is green and red is red. You know, if things have grown, they have. If they haven't, they haven't. So I think, like I said, for me, the most important stuff was the conversations and the questions that came to that brand. The quality of query totally changed and the frequency. So it can definitely work. But like I said, take a long-term mindset. And probably for most people, really step one is the most important step. Figure out who's out there. Know in your world who are the influencers. They might be YouTubers. They might be podcast people. They might be LinkedIn influencers. So it's not all about Instagram. Instagram definitely gets all the attention in this space and certainly almost lends itself to this, but it's certainly not just Instagram. So I guess back to all of the stuff around content and social media, get on the platforms and spend time. Even if you don't like it personally, you don't have to share, but just start to be familiar in that space because how else are you going to sort of find out who's who? Mm. Yeah. Just taking a a step further from Nadia's point, Mm. does this work for everyone? Because potentially, you know, there are some brands or some businesses Mm. I guess it may not work for. And how do you measure success? Mm. Usually for me, success in anything in the world of social always comes down to brand awareness and engagement because at the end of the day, what's the whole point of being on social or any form of marketing is you want you want to wave a flag and go, hey, hello, look at me, I'm here. So I think if brand awareness is an objective and it's measurable, then you can't go wrong in terms of understanding if what you've done has made a positive impact. Engagement is generally, depending on the platform, about conversation, connection broadly. So in my books, Again, with digital, there's no hard and fast black and white rules, but I would say it could work for pretty much anyone, but it might look different. So maybe if you're in a B2B business, it's about, you know, getting some really quality content written on LinkedIn that's in the real serious space of your world of business. And that could, there could be some collaboration involved in that. So whereas in a more traditional sort of beauty product, it's very easy to see how influencer marketing can work and gifting. Yeah, it's going to apply differently, but my belief is, you know, I always think back to if the Victoria Police and the tax office can kill it on social, then surely anyone can. <laughs> That's what I think. I think for every example of someone saying, oh, this doesn't work for me, there'll be 10 examples of it working beautifully. I guess they can measure by engagement. But what about for a small business mm. who really needs to look at the impact on their bottom line? Who really needs to look at profitability? Great uh, question. I just ask you, I want no, you no, reserving this as well. Ready to go. Yes, sure. Um, and my yeah. response to that is you're not going to have success with that mindset. <laughs> if you're really focused on a pure black and white exchange for return on investment, it doesn't work that way. Social is a long term play, it's about building your brand, and that takes time. So if, if you do one exchange and don't see an immediate lift, you won't do influencer marketing and you will miss out on the benefits. So with that, when you were working for big brands, do, have you ever seen what 
their form allocation of towards the marketing? Would it be based on the revenue percentage or how did they allocate budget I'm, for the marketing? I'm not sure whether it was based on revenue percentage. All I can tell you from my time in advertising is that digital budgets started to overtake traditional budgets in the years that I was there, which was sort of, was it six, seven years ago now? All clients were starting to inching to put more and more on digital and less and less on traditional. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can say for sure. Look, all marketing is the same principle. It's letting people know you're there. It's brand awareness at the core, really. And a lot of it depends on your product and service. If you've got a really crappy product and service, all Mm. the marketing in the world is not really going to help. Yeah. So, you know, it it isn't to me black and white and formulaic. It's about, you know, and in the same way I say this to clients as well, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, people understood they needed to have a website. You don't hear people really often heavily talking about ROI, you know, I invested 10,000 in this website, I expect 10,000 in sales. It doesn't work like that. It's about are you there or are you not there? If you're not on social, you're just less likely to be discovered. So it's sort of the ROI discussion, I understand from a financial point of view, is important. But for I do me, have this discussion, I confess, yeah. and the reason being is mm. because I do still think figures do not lie. And if your campaign mm. is successful, you will have increase of uh, even with a bit of delay, but you still have to monitor what's happening to your figures because it's nowhere endless supply of money when they go to nowhere. No, 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 of course. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of the brands who do well on social don't see it like that. They see opportunity and long-term engagement with their audience as something they just have to have. Yeah, but to me, maybe what we can think about mm. is, say, the the process of making a sale, right? So, if you're a business and you're, you know, you need to be able to make a sale, there's a, there's a couple of elements, right? There's, there's your audience mm. and there's your offer, yeah. okay? And you've got to match them up really well. And- your offer needs to actually convert well, mm. right? So I guess if you're a business who has a really weak offer that's not converting well to begin with, mm. maybe this is not the place to start. So yeah. maybe you would focus on fixing your offer and getting the conversions that's right. sorted out and maybe even making sure, and this goes back to what you said a little while ago about identifying, mm. you know, that you're working with the right influencer that's got the right audience, mm. right? So then... you. you you actually are targeting the right audience with the right offer to actually, you know, if you want to sell a product. And I think that's why, I mean, mm. yes, you know, it may not always be an immediate financial return, but I think you, you will see a financial return if you get all those things right is probably, and, and I think your clients are more than likely seeing that financial return. Maybe they've got the other side of things right. Yeah, that's right. And it's it's one element. It's one sort of weapon in your armory, isn't it? You know, but, and you're right. If your offers are lousy, your product's lousy, marketing isn't going to do much. It's not going to help. And yes, I guess what I'm just trying to emphasize though, social is a long-term play. And for people looking for hard and fast ROI, they often go down the path which does brand damage, which they're too pushy, they're too sales-focused. Sales-focused marketing doesn't work on social media. So as long as people are prepared for a long-term play, most of the clients who do and businesses who do well on social recognize they have to be there full stop first. Then they recognize that they want to bring people and connect with people. And then everything else will follow. Does that make sense? So people mm. with a really traditional mindset of I put this down, I expect this return often won't succeed using social because they don't get it. That's not what social is about. Social is about relationship building first and foremost. Yes, those relationships pay off, but 
back to those conversations at the start, authenticity, young people these days don't want to be sold to. They want to connect and form a long-term relationship. So if they get a sniff of a hard, aggressive, must-have ROI mindset, they switch off. So you can actually lose people if you don't understand that. So it's a funny way of coming at it. And I know for business, of course, it's all about the bottom line, but is it really? Because look at this watch example that I said. For him, it's not about the bottom line and they'll probably do really well. Do you know what I mean? So I think who you are and who your values are, yeah, I see a lot of people who want automated funnels and sell, sell, sell and this and that and this and that. At the end of the day, their brand's awful. Their branding's awful. There's nothing for people to catch on to. So it's a delicate balance. Of course, I'm not suggesting businesses just have bucket loads of money and throw it all around the internet. Of course not. But if you are growing your awareness and you are growing your engagement, it'll over time do well for your business. You put it this way, show me a brand who's doing brilliantly on social, who's not doing well as a business and I'll fall off the chair. Brands who do really, really well on social tend, to, and that has been a study that proved that a few years ago now, but tend to do well as business. There's a correlation because they tend to know their audience. They are expressing who they are and they're growing those long-term relationships. So yeah, it's tricky. ROI is always tricky in, in the social space. Uh, well, yeah. I am. guess I have to defend this slightly about return on investment mm. point of view, and this is what it makes it great. Mm. Diversity of thought is return on investment spot on won't happen if it's an aggressive marketing. Yeah. Mindset of pushing marketing is not a good marketing for yes. me, and it's not a good investment. So I would discourage client yeah. go down this path. I would encourage them invest in a, yes, it's a long term. However, mm. you still have to be sensible and monitoring. Of course. It. Therefore, yeah. to begin with, I would tell no push strategy. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, social should be a non-salesy strategy. In fact, platforms like Facebook actually penalize you for having a sales-only strategy. If your posts are post after post pushing for sales, they'll use their algorithm will identify the certain words, you will actually get penalized and your reach will decrease, your organic reach. So social and pushy sales-focused marketing doesn't work. And that's why these plays are long-term plays. And I also have seen it even from our uh, marketing experience as well. Mm. Sometimes people get uh, fatigued from being bombarded with invitations or anything. They're actually switching off. And Mm. uh, what it means that we did not understand them. We did not understand how Mm. they felt at this moment Mm -hmm, and kept mm -hmm. pushing. That's with information. Exactly. So it's just keeping in mind that the modern consumer can switch off very easily from that traditional marketing when it's imposed in this space and everything we've sort of talked about today is is the opposite of that. But, yeah, it'll always be the case that you've got to watch what marketing's producing. It's not there just for fun. It's there to make an impact. But I think, like I said, if your focus is on growth, engagement, brand awareness, you'll set yourself up for success. Spot on and upfront investment always required. What I do discourage is just having initially too many of test and learn because Mm. they do need to engage specialists straight away. That's what I encourage Mm. my clients. Mm. Test and learn, they're not in this position of being able to throw money. And they usually have very scarce budget. And when it comes to the people with startups, especially Mm. if I address this part of our audience, Mm. um, is they do have constraints, uh, monetary constraints. That's why it's become such an important decision making this wise investment. They might get a grant from government grants and Mm. they operate like they have to also show them the budget what they're going to spend it on 
Yeah, and that's why gifting back at that sort of smaller end, gifting and test and learn can be great when you don't have to spend any money for one or spending a very little amount of money because then you can sort of, you know, collect your thoughts and your data before you make any sort of serious investment, definitely. Yeah. So I think we've covered a lot, but what do you see is the biggest mistake that someone might make as a brand, for instance, Mm -hmm. trying to get an influencer or trying to work with an influencer? The incompatible matching of audience, so basically a bad match, Mm -hmm. you know, getting someone whose audience is stay-at-home mums to talk about, you know, golf clubs. It's just not a match. (laughs) Um, It's a waste of money. Or just inauthenticity, yeah, anything that's to do with laziness or if the content provider doesn't care, is just sort of going through the motions, gets it incorrect. There was a classic example of Scott Disick who was the former partner of one of the Kardashian sisters, famously posted (laughs) to his Instagram. He just copied and pasted the instructions. So what he posted was, hey, post this at 4 p.m. and then posted the caption. So he posted the instructions to post the caption. Does that make sense? That's clever. Yes, it does make sense. It was bad. (laughs) He he, he done the wrong range of copy-paste. He copied the whole email instead of just the caption. So what he posted to his audience of, of millions, no doubt, was, hey, post this at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, say, I've just had this great smoothie by this brand. So he posted the whole, co- he posted the instructions and the copy. That's bad. Yeah, not- That's a lazy, yeah, unengaged influencer. Doesn't care, not interested, sees it as, but I'm just going to post this. He would have got thousands of dollars for it, but that's lazy. So that's not good. <laughs> so you want to make sure your influencer is a good match, cares and understands and takes a bit of care and has a genuine audience. Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. You can only sell what you believe in. That's all it is. Yeah, exactly. And the whole point of engaging them is because they should be a good salesperson to their audience. Mm. And maybe you should only sell what you believe in. Because I think some people can sell things that they don't necessarily believe in. But then they lead to um, this cognitive, uh, post-purchase cognitive dissonance. Mm. This is what you don't want to cause because there are people out there who is so talented to shove anything down to other Mm. people's throats. But what they are not good, they're not good at repeat sales because dissonance, Mm. the receivers will be experiencing. Mm. You are not going, you might be fooled once, but Mm. you're not going to do unless it's... That's right. Well, and and that's where it comes back to that bigger picture. If the product's no good, if the service is no good, it does all the amazing marketing in the world won't help it. So it's got to fit in the context of a business that's sort of performing well and reading what its audience wants and delivering good offers. But yeah, I guess we're assuming that that's the case so when you go out. The engagement value is in repeat business, really. Yeah, that's, of course. That's where it comes to. Yeah, and that's right. That's exactly why the long-term relationship is is what's ideal in this space. Yeah. So look, it's complex. That it's not certainly there are lots of angles and different things to consider. And maybe it's not for everyone, depending on the maturity of their business, the, the strength of their offering. But it's certainly something to think about, explore and be open to because the benefits, I think, can be there for, for pretty much everyone. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered enough today. <laughs> I so think that so was too. Really, that was really helpful. <laughs> and I've got a good page full of notes. So thank you for that. And I've no had worries. a couple of uh, little moments that I've been thinking, oh, maybe there's something I can change here myself. Yep. And I think we all get those from time to time. So, Kate, thanks for coming to see us again. And, no and this is, what are we, episode three? Of I think this, so, yeah. And I think we've finished off a three-part series. Yeah, yes, the, for now. I'm yeah. sure we'll have you back again sure. for yep. a social check-in at some stage. Yep. And 
just tell us again where we can find you. Thank you. Yes, so I'm called Paperboat Digital. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn as me, Kate Fennessy. And, yeah, come and say hello. I'm in the. I'm active in the sort of local groups, WTF Mount Eliza. <laughs> And movie club. Yes, I have a movie club as part of that, an offshoot of WTF. And, yeah, so you probably see me in person around this area as well as online. Wonderful. Thank you very much. As That's why you keep coming. You're delivering value. <laughs> you obviously did provoke some thoughts here in good. me and some resistance you could sense. Sure. It. But this is it's good stuff. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. No, mm. you're very welcome. Cool. All right. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Unfair Advantage Project. We'd love you to subscribe to us. So we are now, today's a huge day for us because we're actually, we looked at our phones this morning (laughs) and we're officially on iTunes and the websites. It's it's almost finished. (laughs) It's almost there. It's looking pretty good. But we'd love for you to subscribe and we'd really love a review. If you get great value, five stars would be great. And thanks for listening again. And we'll hopefully see you again on a new episode thanks thank you thank you bye thanks for listening to the unfair advantage project for more curated resources visit us at unfairadvantageproject.com